Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for episode 19, season two of the Arms Boom and Like Project, coming to you live from Amherstburg, Ontario. And this episode in season two, 19, is being brought to you by my good friend Ron Denno from uh, Bob Peddler Real Estate here in Windsor, Essex. In 37 years in the business, Ron knows real estate and uh, happy to sponsor this particular episode of the show. So, Ron, thank you so much for us. Uh, supporting good news in Windsor, Essex. And thank you for watching the program uh, over the last little bit. Now, we are quickly approaching our one-year anniversary next week, and we've got uh, some pretty incredible people who are going to continue to make waves here on the show, people that you've seen before, people that you've heard before, people you may not have heard or seen before, and they'll be joining us over the next couple of weeks right here on the Arms, Boom & Leg project. But my guest tonight is somebody that I hold near and dear to my heart because I really had um, and continue to have a massive respect for what she does in the community. I got to know her one-on-one -on -one during my time at the CBC. She was a frequent guest of mine when we did all sorts of different types of panels and more on the CBC on a number of different issues from things happening locally, things happening provincially to topics on race and uh, diversity and inclusion. Uh, she's been just a source of information and kindness to me over the years, and she has extensive experience in nonprofit management, program design and development, relationships with donors, and organizational management. Um, she has some specific uh, experience, too, working with at-risk youth and marginalized populations and women and kids. She's a graduate from Wayne State University. We are going to be talking about community development, parenthood, gaps in service, and how we can make a little bit more of a uh, diverse and inclusive YQG. I am very happy to welcome my good friend, Remy Searles, to the program. Remy, always good to see you. How are you, my friend? And you as well, Arms. I am great. I am great. The sun has been shining, which makes me so happy. I will take that. Absolutely. And my God, uh, it's been a while, to say the least. I think the last time you and I were chatting was through some of the um, outreach that I think you were doing and, and I guess, communications and, and relationship building with um, a, a number of healthcare providers. I think the last time you mm -hmm. and I were chatting was when we you were working at uh, VON and yeah, where are you at now? You're doing some pretty incredible things from what I yeah, understand. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a fun it's been a fun year. Uh, COVID has changed obviously the landscape of the world for for everyone certainly. Uh, communities like Windsor Essex, uh, and I recently moved into a role uh, with Two One One Ontario. So uh, folks in Windsor would be quite familiar, probably, I'm hoping, with the 2-in-1 service um, in, in Windsor-Essex. It's operated across Ontario, and actually Windsor uh, is the, the hub for our Southwest 2-in-1 uh, service. So it's, uh, it's been good. That's pretty awesome. Um, and, and for those folks who aren't familiar with 2 one and, and how vital this is, tell us a little bit about the organization and, and, and why this is so important for folks mm -hmm. here in the region. So I say that 2 one is... Almost what 911 is for emergency services, uh, 211 is for social services. So 211 is a free confidential number that anyone across the province can pick up any phone and call. Uh, they can chat, they can text, uh, they can look at the website. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but 211 is here to really be very community specific and find help for you in ways that, um, that you may not be able to access. So it's really about sort of service navigation and there's a live person on the other, at other end of that phone. Uh, it's a phenomenal service and used by over 300,000 callers every year. Uh, obviously that went up quite a bit during, uh, during COVID. Uh, we're seeing lots of calls for things like looking, people looking for food security, looking for food banks. The, the price of living right now is astronomical. Um, folks are really struggling. So lots of questions around where people could access uh, food banks and other other services that are 
really geared to to food security, um, income security. You know, uh, this has been a tough, a really tough time. Uh, a lot of folks are really looking for finding ways to be able to to be a bit more secure. In, in, in their work and especially with the cost of living, as I said, uh, and mental health services continue to be one of the number one calls that we are getting across the province. Um, people are tired, people are burned out, people are exhausted, they're scared, um, they're tired of, of, of all of thing, of all of these things uh, and, it, and, and it's tough. So uh, we work closely with them quite a few other sort of helplines. So uh, the Kids Help Phone, which is a phenomenal service for kids in high school who are seeking confidential mental health services um, in Ontario is a service that we um, that we operate as well uh, for the province. So there's quite a lot of work that we do um, in different areas in order to be able to link people uh, through navigation with a person uh, to, to services specifically in their community. And, and there are so many great services uh, within the Windsor-Essex area. And, and it's great to have 211 as a resource and sort of that conduit, that hub, where folks who, like you said, are going through some challenging times right now. I mean, that's one thing we could talk about too. I was sending to Carrie, uh, my wife, actually, just before we got on the live stream, Remy, we were just talking about our monthly budget and mm. just taking a look at um, just gas. I mean, we it, take that piece of the pie right now too. And I, I said to her, I'm like, my God, like for what I'm filling up for my tank, it's it's incredible. And I know a lot of folks too are feeling that pinch too. So when they get to a point where they're trying to access those services, they're, they don't even know where to turn. Maybe they've heard, you know, in the media, certain organizations, certain groups come out. It's nice to know that they can call and really get that sort of insight mm -hmm. on the next steps and how they can sort of get involved in these programs and get that help that they might need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyone anywhere in the province can pick up any phone uh, for free and call 211 uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's an interesting time. Um, you know, we've, you and I have talked over the years. I mean, I think our first long term broadcast that we did was the municipal election. Oh, wow. Yeah. 2014. Yeah. 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 And uh, mm -hmm. you were a panelist, which I, I, I think we were on for like three hours on the CBC. We were doing our live yeah, stream. Yeah, that and then. was a fun night. It, it was good times at the uh, at the St. Clair College Center for the Arts, too. Yeah, but, yeah 2018, not 14, but yeah. Yeah, yeah 2018. It um, feels like 2014. I know. Uh, <laughs> it's just like insane. But, I mean, you take a look at Windsor, and, and, and generally speaking, for the area, and there's lots to unpack here, Remy. How do you feel about Windsor going forward? I mean, we can carve this out in, in the pandemic, post-response. We can carve this out. I mean, I've had a couple of... Um, DNI folks on the show, including uh, Janella Bella, who's a good friend of mine, uh, talking a little bit about that, um, and Stephanie Lianga as well over the last uh, couple of episodes. But let's start with that pandemic post response, mm -hmm. even from your particular role in two one one. How do you feel? How do you feel about this region as a whole, where we're going in the next, you know, five to ten years? Hmm. It's tricky, right? Arms. We've got a unique. I would say unique. Windsor is 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 an odd duck in in the best possible ways, right? But we have really unique challenges, but we also have really unique strengths. It's um, being a border city has impacted Windsor, I think, more than most places across Canada um, in very different ways, whether they are familial, whether they are work-related issues. Um, so many different things are impacted by us being close to that border um, in, in good ways and, and some not so much as we saw sort of over the over the summertime, mm -hmm. uh, over the wintertime. Now, moving forward, what that looks like, you know, it's hard. We were saying to someone a few days ago, Windsor used to be the place where you can 
housing is affordable. You, you, it's the best place to raise your kids. It is a safe place to, to be. So many positive, really great things. It's just got a very strong sense of community. The cost of living has skyrocketed and it is very difficult um, for people across the region to be able to, you know, someone was telling me the other day that they were paying $2,800 for a two bedroom, a two bedroom place to live. That's crazy. That's crazy. Plus $150 in a gas tank. Um, plus, 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 plus. It's not, it's, it's not easy. So I, I see Windsor hoping to, to use the things that Windsor is really good at. Windsor is probably the most resilient place I have ever seen in all my days. I grew up in Detroit, um, as you well know, Arms, and it's, um, it reminds me so much of, of the west side of Detroit where I grew up. And people just come together and they figure things out in a way that is unlike any place I've ever seen in, in all my life. Um, I think that that's what this community will do. Times are hard right now. Um, it's not easy at all for, for families to, to make ends meet. I think that we'll, we'll hopefully see this, this housing market change a little bit. We'll see an increase in access to, um, to places for people to live and, and access to, to housing. Uh, you see development going up all over the place, which is great. Um, and it means that people are coming here. It means that people want to, to live in Windsor-Essex, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the questions that I have, though, are really, uh, and the thoughts that I have are really focused on how do we make sure that there is a place for everybody? Um, how do we make sure that we have ample housing that is affordable uh, for the people who, who live here? We don't now, and not by, not by any means. And I worry about what that will look like in the future. Although, as I said, some really great development is going on and people are, you know, I think of the, the Sarah Sip cars of the world who are doing phenomenal work around trying to find alternative solutions for, for housing, right? Um, and these sort of tiny houses and um, storage containers and all kinds of different ways to, you know, redevelopment of alleyways, trying to, to use the spaces that we have in order to be as affordable as, as possible. So I see us, you know, it's a long answer to a short question, but I really do see us coming together as a community in, in, in the way that we do. That's what Windsor does um, in, in, in all the best ways. So I see us really moving in a direction that's very much focused on our community, very much focused on who we are um, and that identity of, of Windsor that makes us so unique. And I hope, uh, you know, I've said many times here on the show, like even with the the battery plan announcement, which I am applauding uh, all levels of, of of government and and organizations, including you know, shout out to Stephen McKenzie again and his team at uh, Invest Windsor Essex for for working to get that done. Uh, and I was just reading an article today too about um, the chemical plant for LGs. That the story is not yet written on whether or not we can still land that. I know there was a bit of controversy about whether or not we had the power to do it, but you know, I've said before on the show, Remy, it's. I would go back to geez, my days at CKLW back in the <laughs> last decade where the end all and be all was going to be wind turbines for the area. And, uh, you know, we had CSUN come into town and this was going to be the kick in the pants, so to speak, for our region, economically speaking. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that at all. No. So I, I, I think the EV, the, the battery plant is, I hope it will be. I mean, you've got the new hospital on the horizon. Um, a friend of mine who does some drone footage uh, took some shots of the Gordie Howe, uh, which is well That's in amazing. development. So I think we're in the right path. I just, I, it's almost like I have this cautious optimism, uh, cautious trepidation, so to speak, yeah. um, over where we're going to be. Because you're right. I think 
it's it's hard for folks like my sister's 25 and she's looking to get into the housing market and she just landed a um temporary gig at the catholic board she's a teacher she came back from london and she can't get into the market because the market is is it's just out of her range right now for a house <clears throat> it's crazy so i, well, I hope, people live here they can't buy homes you know right and, and then, then we're gonna have that influx of people too with everything else coming in so i hope we're ready for what's to come down the pipe mm. Mm. I think we will be, you know, as I said, this is an incredibly resilient city. Um, we've been through when, when things are bad, I think that we've seen the brunt of the worst of it oftentimes. Um, 20, gosh, 2012, 2013 hit us like no one else in Canada. Um, there are things that we are so good at. Uh, and I think that's what will carry us through. Like I said, we've got unique challenges as well. You know, we've got It'll be interesting to see what happens with um, with LG. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that we are going to be in a situation where we've got tons and tons of um, sort of an influx of, of development in, in business coming into the city. Who are we? What are we doing? Right? How do we capitalize on what we on, on what we have? And I think that we did that with the battery plant, and we did that very very well. Um, we could potentially do the same thing. It's a question of rebuilding and, and redeveloping who we are. You know, um, we're not just focused on on Chrysler and all the great things that they do there, but that's not it anymore. Um, so, how are we going to to do that together? How are we going to reimagine ourselves as as a community? You know, with the increase of people and the increase of jobs, hopefully down the pipe with the battery plant and the spinoff jobs and all that, um, there's going to be an increase for services, right? For folks mm -hmm. to access those services. In your experience, you know, there's always things that could be changed. Like what are some of the gaps that you see? What are the gaps that you've seen? What are the better ways that we can kind of connect one, one another with uh, accessing the services mm -hmm. that folks might need? One of the unique things about Windsor-Essex is its geography, right? So you've got people living out in rural areas in the county that don't have access to, to transportation into the city. Uh, you've got seniors that are quite isolated um, out in the county, and you've got people that maybe not have access to a vehicle and certainly not public transportation uh, living out in, uh, in areas that don't have service in that way. The connection between the county and the city, I think, is a huge part of where we go forward and a huge challenge that we have to, to overcome in this way. Um, that connection is vital, I think, to making sure that access is at the forefront of services for everybody. Um, it's difficult enough in the city where there is something like public transportation, where there is um, where there is a different level of access in that way. For folks out in the county, that is not at all the same thing. And you shouldn't have to leave your home and the place that you love and that you grew up in, in order to, to access the things that you need to, um, whether they're community support programs, whether they're exercise classes for seniors, or they are um, their social programs for, for kids. Um, you shouldn't have to, to leave where you are in order to, to do that. So that connection, I think, is a huge challenge um, for access to those types of services. With an influx of, of new people, that, that, that is much the same. Where are they going to be? Where are they going to, to live? How are they going to, to be connected? How will they know how they are connected? We do a good job in Windsor-Essex, I think, of working together as a social service community. Um, there are connections. I think any it's that small, large town mentality, right, that we've all got 
um, everybody knows everybody and we know who we can pick up the phone and call and say, you know what, Mary over here really needs some help. And, and how do we come together to figure that out? We're good at that. What we need, um, and I've, you know, this is, is where I stand over and over and over again, um, without going down the rabbit hole, um, but we have a serious problem um, with mental health and addictions and a lack of access to, to services. Um, you know me, Arms, and that is a, a soapbox that I will stand up on all day long. Um, we've lost a, a safe injection site uh, downtown that was that, that was to happen. It's um, it's tough, and we don't have treatment centers. We don't have options for for people. Um, people are dying one day after the next, uh, and it's hard. People's um, children, people's parents, um, gone, and we don't have a strong system to be able to address those needs. Um, you look at youth and, and mental health for, for, for kids that was already struggling. The system was already difficult and, and struggling uh, pre-COVID. I've got two teenage daughters, um, which is hard enough on a good day. But um, <laughs> yeah, just wait arms. Just wait. <laughs> I've got some time with Livia, let me tell you, but I, oh, I've coming. been warned. I've been just warned. wait. Just wait. But, you know, they are, they're, they're your average teenage kids who, you know, struggle as most teenagers do. <clears throat> and COVID did not help at all. And so, you know, if it's difficult for me, somebody who is privileged enough to have the resources and the capacity and the access and the relationships to find services for my own child, if that's hard for me, what is that like for someone who is a newcomer? What is that like for someone who already has mental health challenges themselves? What is that hard? What is that like for someone who doesn't have access to transportation? If I have a hard time figuring out what is anyone else doing, yeah. that hit me like a ton of bricks during COVID. Um, what is everyone else doing? If it's hard for me, what what are these other parents doing, and, and how are they how are they doing this? Not well is the answer. It's just not possible. So all of these things, I think that we have massive gaps in. Um, there's definitely um, a want and a desire for us across the community to do more, to do better, to do more with, with the little that we have. You know, the other, the other sort of uh, drum that I will continue to pound is, you know, lack of, um, of funding for um, specifically for, for, for mental health programs for, for kids and for addictions um, services. So without that, we continue to kind of go into circles and, um, and we can't really do a whole lot if we don't have very much. But we try and we do the best that we can with, with what we have. Um, but it's tough. It's tough. There are, there are massive gaps that are not unique to Windsor. Um, they're across the province and there are issues that other communities are dealing with. Um, it's not new. It's not, as I said, unique in that way. Um, there have been some really good things that have happened. Uh, but again, it's, it's just not enough. It's just not enough. You know what, uh, my friend, you know what, it, it boggles my mind, you know, and far be it for me to criticize the bureaucracy of things. Okay. Cause I understand there needs to be checks and balances. I get that. I also think if COVID has taught us anything, it has, 
I mean, this is a huge rabbit hole to go down. But and I was even saying this today to my wife. It's like, you know, if you talk to some people about quote unquote the system, they'll tell you flat out the system is broken. Um, if you talk to other folks, they'll say it's just fine. Um, you know, you talk to other people and they they just say, you know, if anything, the last two years because of a global pandemic, it is it it is lit a match on the quote unquote system and it's it's set up a, a raging fire to it. Yeah. What I don't understand, and, and this goes back to our CBC days when we were working at, I was working at the CBC and certainly, you know, utilized you as a resource quite often. Um, I would, you know, one of the mandates we had was to, you know, really shine a light on the opioid crisis and 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 to find those stories and to really highlight those stories in the community. Uh, you know, in some of the work we've done, I, I know that there was some tremendous advancements in those safe injection sites in, I want to say, the Vancouver area and the mm-hmm. BC area. Um, not without its quote unquote controversy from some members of the community, but I think when they took a look at those quote unquote metrics, something I speak about very much here on the show, or you know, you can quantify the either success or failure of some sort of project. Mm-hmm. Um, the metrics were there to say that yes, in fact, this worked and this is working. So it boggles my mind that in 2022, with something as complicated or maybe not as complicated as a safe injection site or uh, getting funding to mental health for children and teenagers, because you know, as well as I think most parents do, the last two years have been hell on folks and hell on kids um, and have sort of brought those problems to light that they don't look at it from a business lens and to say, hey, this particular community is doing it. They're doing it well. They're knocking it out of the park. The metrics are there. Let's wash, rinse, repeat, take what they've done and put our own spin on it mm-hmm. and, fly, and fly it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, yes. I I don't get why. And I think that's where a lot of folks, when it comes to looking at um, the process of, of, you know, government or or, or even the, the 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 back and forth of a bureaucracy. It's just I think people who need relief and they need it now or they mm-hmm. need assurances that something is coming that's going to benefit them. They're almost numb to the process because they feel like nothing's been done. And like you said, you're going in circles. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, um, it's beyond frustrating. You know, I've been doing this work for 20, almost 20 years, um, my whole career. And you see progress in some things. And then you see things like no one caring that someone has been put out of the hospital yet again because there's not a, a bed for them for, for mental health services. There's not an inpatient bed. Or someone not being able to, to access mental health supports as a child and they're hurt. There are some things I think that are just flat out unacceptable, right? And when it comes to a community taking care of its children, I think that all of us would agree as a community that that's what we need to, to, to prioritize. In addition, that being said, if you just take out the human lens, say you don't care, you could not care less about whether or not someone overdoses from fentanyl, not your pony, not your show. You don't actually care. You don't know anyone who's dealing with this issue. It's just not something that's on your radar that you care very deeply about. Okay. If you just think about it from a financial perspective, we all agreed as Canadians that universal healthcare and uh, is, is something that we're going to, to do for each other. Um, that that is a right that we have agreed to that we all understand is a basic right, is access to, to healthcare. 
we spend the vast majority of our provincial budget on healthcare. That's where the bulk of our money goes. We have a revolving door of people coming into the healthcare system who don't have access to treatment centers, who don't have access to primary care, who don't have access to so many of those pieces that would help mental health services to help to stop that train wreck that is going to happen. There are steps along that path to, to stop that from happening. It's very expensive to treat somebody and to take care of somebody who's coming to the hospital every other day, who's coming into emergency to access their primary care once a month. Mm -hmm. That's expensive. If we put the money into preventing some of these issues, it would cost us less money. Even as I said, even if you don't care about the fact that this is a human being and, and this is what they deserve, no judgment, but say that's not for you. When, when what you care about is how much it costs. It's more expensive to treat all of the results of our lack of attention that we've paid to all of those different social determinants of health from when someone is a child, quite frankly, um, than it is to, to just take care of it. You know, I was talking about, um, you know, you say, say is our system broken? We spend so much time and money fixing problems that we created, right? Um, it's, there was a family in Windsor-Essex that was a mom, dad, five kids. Mm -hmm. Dad had a job. Mom was at home with five kids taking care of them. Um, dad had a job outside the house and he got hurt at work, lost his job. Also lost access to his benefits, um, extended benefits at work um, and was struggling. Could not go to work, was on EI. Um, they had a lot of kids. Their electricity bill was quite high. Um, it was a few years ago. Their electricity was in danger of being, their hydro was going to be shut off. Somebody called Children's Aid in to come and deal with the situation because the children were living in a house without, um, without consistent electricity because the parents couldn't pay the bill. They put the kids into care as opposed to just paying the bill. The amount of money that it costs to take five children into care, provide lawyers for all of those five children, provide foster homes for all of those five children, not to mention the trauma that those children are enduring and their parents, pay the light bill, pay the, <laughs> pay the hydro bill. It would have cost $700 to, to have that family be okay, as opposed to the tens of thousands of dollars that it costs to, to deal with the end result. The system is broken in that we're not looking at what we could have done in the beginning to make sure that that family was good and that they didn't get to that point. I, I, I don't, I don't know where, and I don't want to be, I mean, these are things that we need to talk about. And that's why I love doing this show is because I get to get that sort of unique voice out um, that sort of resonates with, I guess, a lot of the things that don't get covered in traditional or legacy media. But I feel that the one commodity that I think any industry or any business or any government organization could really use help on is, again, what you said, nail on the head, Remy, is that, again, I'll say it's a compassion piece, right? It's maybe not following the book and saying, like, in that case of that family, how can we help these, these people and their kids get back on their feet instead of putting them into the system, like you said, so it's just this long, drawn-out process? Because, I mean, if you want to even think five years, I mean, what does that do to the kids, right? What does that do to the parents' mental well-being, Um where as a society, where as individuals, where as, as, as groups of people did we lose that inherent, mm -hmm. hey, wait a second, that could be my family. Let's mm -hmm. try to help them out as much as we can. 
I think that we think about that, but the mechanisms and the infrastructure isn't in place for us to actually do anything about it. You know, um, I think we'd all like to, but how do we do that? Right. How do we do that as a system? I don't know that that's possible. I don't know that it's at what point are we checking in with that family when the kids are at school, when dad, when, when dad lost his job, when mom is taking the kids to, um, to earlier to, to try to just get them some, some social, who, who's talking to, to these, to these folks and how are they, how are they not connecting with each other? Right. Where is that, that close, how do you close that, that sort of cycle? How do you close that loop of all of the different people that are touching them and touching that family so that this is prevented? And even if they had the arms, even if, you know, um, an earlier uh, teacher may have, or a staff may have said, you know what, I think there's, I think they, they, they could use some help. I know they're struggling. I think they could use some help. Who's, who, who's he or she going to go to? Where is that money going to come from? Where, what are they even going to do? That's not easy. There isn't, I think that we generally want to help. As a community, I have seen communities come together for situations and for people in ways that are amazing. They provide money, they provide stuff, um, they provide time. You know, my mother would say all the time, I've said this, I have said this to you before, we grew up with not a whole lot at all, at all. <laughs> um, and I didn't even know didn't even know how little we had because nobody had anything, um, but nobody that we knew had anything. And that was a cycle of poverty that I never would have gotten out of. That was all I knew. But she would say, we might not have very much, but we can do. Even if you don't have anything to give, you have your time, you have your compassion. And I don't mean to say that to sound trite and to sound, you know, pie in the sky. I'm being dead serious. There's something that you can do. So even if it's not it's not always about throwing money at something. You're right. It's about compassion. It's about who are we as a community? Who do we want to be as a community? Do we want to be those folks that are okay with those kids living in care? Grateful for the, for, for the families that took them in. Grateful for the system that provides for kids when that is necessary. However, if we spent more time, I think, focusing on preventing some of these things, we wouldn't be in the same situation. We wouldn't. I, I, I fostered um, a little girl for five years. Um, that process, <laughs> I'll never forget. Um, she was 13 when she came to stay with us. And she was, she, she, she was struggling. So we had to go through a long process. And it's hard to become a foster parent. And it's God bless the people that, that do it. I did it once. And it, it, was, it was not easy. Um, and we had so many great classes and so many great resources to access and so much information that was helpful as we were trying to, to help this little girl. And I thought to myself, her mom had six kids. If her mom had had access to these same trainings and to these same resources, maybe we wouldn't be, have to be a foster parent right now. How do we stop it from getting to that point? Is it a question, Remy, do you think that organizations can improve collaboration and, mm -hmm. and, and maybe break down the walls of the silos that sometimes happen. Uh, often you'll see yeah. the, the repetition or um, I guess the bloat of, mm -hmm. of some of the, as opposed to saying, how do we, how do we move the ball down the field as opposed to maybe reinventing the game? If that makes sense. 
I think that I have some pretty strong opinions, I guess, about (laughs) that whole area. And I think it goes back to honestly arms. It goes back to the funding relationships. That's how they're, that's how they're inherently set up. They're set up for us to compete. And they will say, anybody who's ever worked in nonprofit, you know, this arms, you've got X amount of dollars. You want to keep the doors open because you didn't get into this work because of all the great money that you make and all the free time that you have. You got into this work because you want to do good work and you care about people. Um, So you're going to do the work regardless of whether or not you're making, you know, $17 an hour or, or a hundred dollars an hour, you're going to do the work either way. Mm-hmm. That said, we let that happen and that's not okay. It's not okay. Um, you know, I say, you know, we pay and, and I love me some football, but we pay professional athletes to entertain us, but we can't manage to pay our teachers at what, what they deserve. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy yep. to me, but it's the same idea. So we're, we're set up to be in a situation where that's just what we're used to, right? We're used to, to working with, with less, and that's just how the system works. At the end of our fiscal year, every, if there's any money left over, yeah, I mean, you've probably seen this situation. I've been in it multiple times. You've got a little bit of money left over. What you really need to do is buy new toilets for the, the kids' bathrooms um, in the community center, but you can't because that's not how your funding is allocated. So what are you going to do? You're not going to give it back. That's for sure. Because you need it. You're going to find something to do with it, but you're not able to use it for what you actually need it for. Right. So you buy extra computers. You're going to buy things that maybe you don't, maybe you still need, but you don't need in the same way as an emergency that you actually have to, to pay for. Sure. If sure. our funding was set up in such a way that encouraged collaboration that didn't penalize organizations for, for sharing dollars, for sharing staffing, that was, if we looked at some shared governance, I think that there are so many ways that we can can make that happen. But it's not it's not the fault, I think, of of, of many nonprofits and service agencies. I think that it's it's down to the way that that funding is allocated and how it is. And we'll we'll say that it's intended to be collaborative, but it's not. Um, it is still very very competitive for the same dollars to be able to do the same work. So what you end up having is people who, you know, I say this all the time. I don't, I don't believe in going after dollars for the sake of having them and finding a program to make to, to fit within that um, within that particular sort of request for proposals or um, or stream of funding. Alternatively, but that's a lot easier than um, and will probably help you get more dollars in the building, even though it's not at all sustainable. Then knowing exactly what your need is, knowing exactly what your gap is and finding somebody, anybody to help you pay for that thing, right? Um, that's a lot harder to do. And that's how our funding is set up, that it makes that very, very difficult to do. So you end up creating programs, you end up creating positions that you can't sustain, that you can't keep because your funding is not consistent and you you don't know, you, you weren't really set up for that in, in the first place. Um, and it makes it it makes it a, an untenable kind of a situation. And that's how you've got these organizations that are constantly kind of back and forth, trying to figure things out with their hands in 17 different pots because they're trying to survive. And it's not on them. I don't think necessarily. Um, they're just trying to do what they need to do for the people that they're, that they're trying to serve. It's down to the way that the way that funding is allocated in that way. I think. Federally. I- I was just going to say, Remy, too, I think a lot of it, too, has been sort of this paradigm shift um, of 
like you said, sort of that that change in the way, hopefully, of the younger generation that's coming in and saying, hey, there's a different way to do this. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a better, I mean, geez, we can talk about this too. We've, I've talked about it on the show, but sort of the great resignation that's been happening too. I think yeah. people are sort of starting to prioritize, you know, purposeful work um, as opposed to the corporate rat race. Because I think a lot of people have seen sort of that um, corporate jargon, so to speak, to say, that that culture of, you know, I'm going to work until I drop. I'm going to discount yeah. my family. I'm going to discount friends. It's like, you know, the, the younger generation just won't have it. It's it's no. not at the end of the day, the dollars aren't aren't there for them to say, yeah, I'm going to sacrifice that. Yeah. And I think that sort of attitude coming into play, hopefully, I mean, I look at something that I mean to use nursing as an example. Right? Mm. Um, you're seeing this massive exodus of nurses just leave the profession because of what's been going on, not only for the last couple of years, but really the last couple of decades. Yeah. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, for your daughters and my, my kids, my son and daughter, when they're our age, what does the healthcare system look like if there's not a steady stream of, of people wanting to get into the profession, wanting to do the job, getting paid well to do the job, <laughs> Uh, and and maintaining that level of quality because they're cutting numbers or they're cutting. Funding, Again, when you know? you've got when when you're at it in, in a border city, and you've got nurses that can drive an extra fifteen minutes and make another thirty dollars an hour, that's what they're going to do. And I don't mm -hmm. blame them, right? It's 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 hard. I feel the same way about nurses as I do about teachers. So I'm going to go on a, a, a rant for for them as well. My mom was a nurse. Um, she worked really really hard. And um, it's just a thankless kind of a situation sometimes, right? Um, you've got nurses, you've got PSWs, you've got other support staff who are trying so hard to do the day-to-day. -day. And what happened over the last two years is unavoidable. It's not, it's not anyone's fault that it happened the way that it did. However, what was asked of them is extraordinary. Extraordinary. Um, PSW is making $15, $17 an hour working in long-term care homes, burying people day after day after day, not able to go home to their families. Nurses not able to go home to their to their own kids every day. Got, we couldn't have gotten it through with, with, with without them, but saying thank you and giving out plaques and, and putting up pretty pictures, it's just not enough. It's not enough. If they're so worth it, if they were worth it, then then they're worth it all the time. Yeah, it's just funny when you, you know, I I, I don't have a degree. I'm not I'm not a business major or anything, but I, I've worked in small business for a long time before I even cracked the mic or turned on a camera, and worked for franchises. And it's like you know that old adage. I remember one franchise owner I worked for for a number of years in the late '90s was like, if I've got people who are doing the job and the customers are happy. And as, as long as I can make sure it makes sense for me to pay them very well so I don't have to worry about training somebody to get to their level, that's not a master's degree in business. That's just being a smart business person mm. because they're they're hitting their numbers and you want to keep them around because it's less fuss. Than, right. So I wish they would. I know that's a very simplified approach to it. but for I sure, especially when public dollars are paying for it in, in, in that way. But we've all said that that's what we want. I right. don't know that there's anybody in Ontario that's going to say, you know, we don't really need nurses. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe we don't really need any of those. Um, I don't know that that's going to happen. So we all know that that's something that we want, that we need, and that is vital. So why aren't we prioritizing it? Why are we letting this happen? Um, Especially two years into this, right? right. And it, it, two years into this, and I know that mandates have relaxed and, you know, um, geez, I went out today to pick up a few things for Liam. Um, and, you know, I thought I was the only person wearing a mask and that's my choice, um, 100%. But at the same token, it's like, we're not out of the woods yet. I think, uh, you know, who's to say what's going to happen in the future? I mean, you still have to live your life, but how are we going to support another wave or something that's going to be coming down the pipe, so to speak, if there's nobody to shore up the line um, right. because they're leaving en masse, right? Right. It's, um, it's scary. But again, what are our priorities? Yeah. One thing I wanted to talk to you about, and, and thank you so much. I, I love talking to you because it's just it's it's such a good deep dive and a great conversation. Anytime we get together and kind of talk about some of those big issues, is you know you talk about priorities and geez, we talked about this on panels during the 2018s on the CBC uh, about DNI and uh, diversity and inclusion and equity in this rose city of Windsor. Mm. Um, here we are in 2022. Um, you know, I had Janella Bella on at the beginning of the month as I look at my calendar here, and I, I, I posed that same question to her. Um, why are we five years in and it seems like we're getting there, but we're not, if that makes sense? Yeah, it 100% makes sense. Um, I was having a similar conversation earlier, and I have this conversation too regularly, arms, much too regularly. Equity and inclusion shouldn't be hard. It should be perfectly normal. I shouldn't be the only one sitting at a room in, in meetings at people at, at the level that I'm at. I'm a COO. I'm the only one. Always. It's insane. It wasn't that long ago when I think about progress. As I said, I grew up in the States. My sister was born in a segregated hospital. They kicked my mother out of the hospital in labor in South Carolina and said, if that baby is going to come out looking like your friends here, you need to go down the hall or down the street. Wow. It wasn't that long ago. My sister is 52. At this point, I feel like it's, it's done. It's not even a conversation. Do the work. We were talking about a, a committee yet again. And, and at this point, arms, I'm, I'm frustrated. My, my filter is kind of broken at this point. Well, I, I, I get, I get frustrated. I'm, I'm over it's, it. it. It's like we're on the carousel, right? It's right? like we're on a carousel and right? we're just, there's no destination. We're just going in circles. You we're know going I mean? in circles and we're asking people, Oh, but you know, I asked the but 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 we're asking the the committee and we and and we got a group of you know South Asian people together and so now we know what South Asian people. No, where are the South Asian people on your board? Where are the South Asian people on your staff? Where are they in senior management? How are you promoting people? How is the pipeline for growth and development for people who look like the communities that we serve to be sitting at the table making decisions about the community that we serve? Mm -hmm. Where's that pipeline? That's the work, not conversation after conversation after conversation. No amount of conversations and no amount of talking is going to change somebody who is bigoted 
it's not going to change somebody who is inherently racist. That's just who they are. And okay, fine. That's not my job. I don't care to change the mind of somebody who doesn't like me because of my gender, my race, my religion. Don't actually care. My main concern is making sure that I'm able to, to work and live and be without being discriminated against and that my daughters are able to be in that world in that way, that they're safe, that they can go to the grocery store and not worry about getting shot, that they can go to the nail salon and not worry about getting shot, that they can go pray and not worry about being murdered in a mosque. Unfortunately, that is not the world that we live in right now. I'm not talking about the microaggressions that happen every day. I'm not talking about someone saying to me, a colleague, you know, you should speak to that poverty issue because you know, you would be the right person to do that. I'm not talking about those things that happen every day. I'm not talking about asking for someone asking, you know, about my hair or about how I grew up. I'm, I'm, I don't care. Honestly, I'm, I'm tired of it. it that, that's not, that's not the issue. I'm talking about the big things. I'm talking about making space for people to be able to feel safe. Little things happen every day. They happen, the microaggressions, they hurt, they add up. Enough is enough. However, you go from being so desensitized about all of those little things that happen on a day-to-day -day basis and people thinking about you and looking at you in a certain way and making assumptions about you to your life. You're literally dead for no reason. Somebody's mother, somebody's sister, somebody's father, somebody's child. Why? How, what are, what the hell are we doing? It, I cannot wrap my head around it and I can't explain it to my kids. It's, it's funny, right? When you, when you do have kids, it's like that whole aspect changes, changes in that. terms of like, okay, these are things that I have experienced as somebody of uh, a person of color. Right. Yeah. And then I, I, I look at, you know, Liam is turning five and I look at Liam and I'm like, okay, what does that look like in, what does that look like for him in 10 years? You know? Um, and I, and, I mean, you hit the nail on the head on the head. Like where are the people who represent the communities that you are serving? Where is their voice? Where is their authentic voice? Where is it, it, it to go back to the business lens? Right. Again, I don't have a degree in business, right? But you want to find out your customers, you go right to the source and transplant that into people. You know, if we're serving yeah. these people, let's let's get someone who can represent them, who who represents them authentically, um, and bring them to the table and, and give them a seat at the table and really listen. It just boggles my mind that that does not get done. It's and not hard. It's not. It it's not and, and capable people across the city, there are capable people. You know, I, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, there was a, and, and without sort of putting out um, exactly the, the situation, there was a, a symposium or sort of a, a panel that was being pulled together yeah. um, of women of excellence in Windsor or women of something. Um, every single one of them was a white woman, 10 of them, 10, 12 people. And when I said, I said, okay, you know what? Let's take this as maybe an opportunity. What's going on here? So I, to the organizer and her response arms initially was, well, you know, I posted something and nobody really responded. So 
kind of left it at that. Clearly, you I, don't know anybody outside of the circle of the people that look like you. Make some new friends. Like, it's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard to say, to expand the circle of people that are around you and to learn. Your life is just going to be better because I know my life is better when I meet people that aren't like me. I 100%. know that, you know, you're just that much more fulfilled. You learn that much more. You're that much more enriched by someone else's experience and culture and different worldview. Completely. Different worldview. And I think everyone has something to learn from, right? Like you can learn and you can put perspective in it. And I, I remember that. And I remember, you know, when I left traditional legacy media, um, I for a while there, I, I, I was trying to hold to account a lot of the media that we have in the city to say, guys, I've worked in a lot of these newsrooms. I've worked with a lot of you one on one. Where is the representation? Mm hmm. And are we doing our just cause? I mean, I never considered myself a journalist. I, I, I never did. I, I was a broadcaster. I mean, I could right. do stories, but I was a broadcaster. I like to do the, the emotional stuff that, quote unquote, wasn't news. Um, but I would say to them, oh, well, we made a call to this particular person. And I'm like, well, when was the last time that you went into that community? When was the last time that you actually spent some time with people in the yep. community to forge those relationships? Every time they said that when they called me, like, I'm not the arbiter. I'm not the be-all, end-all for the Muslim community, for the Black community, for the females. There are other people. Why Why is this person? Well, it's it's checking off a box. Yeah. And I'm yeah. done being a checkbox. I'm yeah. just over it, as I said. <laughs> My filter is just... No, it's Just and not. you're right because it's here we are five years later, right? I mean, one of the last things I did, uh, we, we tried doing anyways, was developing some sort of database where we could go through, yes, and 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 really start. I don't know whatever happened to that, but I uh, I still remain in contact with a lot of those people, yeah. and and I consider them friends. And yeah. you know, where I don't have those connections, I try to forge those connections. Yes. One of my closest friends, um. Miriam uh, Soto from the Spanish-speaking community in the Leamington area, we became really close friends after some of the migrant worker outreach we did during the beginning of the mm -hmm. pandemic. And her and I have been close. We've we've been friends. And I've learned so much from her. Mm -hmm. And I really respect where she has been as a person and, and what kind of insight she provides. And I think she's just a wonderful person. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm proud of that. Um, I'm proud of that relationship because I've learned so much. And um, she's been a resource to me as well. So... Mm -hmm. I just, again, that goes back to, to bring our conversation full circle. I think that goes back to that compassion piece because there's that compassion piece too, mm -hmm. just not maybe live in the silo and kind of reach out because you know it and I know it. Windsor is changing. It's changing. And I think the, the reflection of the community, who is in our community needs to be reflective in everything we do from a board perspective to a media perspective yeah. that needs to change. Yeah. From a, from a representation around who we elect perspective. Oh, for sure. 100% um, on that. You know, I, I sit on, we started this um, a couple years ago at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, we started a group of women, a uh, group of black women. We started this, um, this group. Um, we decided to create an organization because we realized that there were women in the community that were struggling um, mentally, emotionally, the microaggressions were just getting to be too much. The, the lack of ability to find growth within their workplaces was getting to be too much. 
we started this weekly sort of check-in to just say, hey, how's everybody doing? I think 60 people joined that first call. There were so many. And two years later, 30 women a week are still logging in and saying, I just need this check-in. I just need to make sure that we're all okay um, and talk about in a, in a safe space what it is that, that we're all thinking and feeling and doing. And what you hear overwhelmingly is not feeling sort of, again, being that, that odd man out and being that odd woman out. Um, it's, it's not difficult to fix, which is what's so frustrating arms. There are some brilliant people in this community. Um, there are some phenomenal academics, um, people doing incredible work with the indigenous community, people that are working so hard on truth and reconciliation in an actual, in a way that's actually impactful and meaningful and not just saying that we did it and we said in land acknowledgement, so everything is fine. No, actual, actual work. We've got people in the community that are representative of, of every, every business, every um, ability, every different type of skill. It's not hard to, to meet new people. It's not hard to make new friends in that way, right? And just try to get to know someone else. Years ago, um, God, I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, so she just turned 17. Whew. Um, yeah, just aging myself right now. Years ago, I was, um, I was at the University of Windsor and a phenomenal woman who has since passed, but one of an amazing, amazing woman, Dr. Martha Lee. She was a poli-sci professor at the university. I'm one of the first women in that department. Um, so much so that when she started um, her first day, someone, one of the other profs asked if he could get, if she could get him some coffee because he didn't realize that she was their professor. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Martha and I started um, through the Stephen Jaroslawski Jer chair in conflict and religion. Uh, we started a, um, this interfaith group and decided, you know what, let's just get a bunch of women together it's always women. Uh, we get things done. We get things done. Get a bunch of women together. Um, and let's just sort of start to talk about conflict and how we can resolve conflict. And it turned into something entirely different. Arms, I'll never forget the first meeting. We're sitting in like the basement of one of the buildings at the university. And um, this, oh gosh, she's she's gone now too. But this, <laughs> I started to think about it. Like two of those folks are, are not with us anymore. Um, but an amazing woman. Uh, from the Jewish community says to all of us, she says, you know, and she was older. She's in her late sixties, early seventies. So, you know, I've got this great neighbor and her daughter and I, or and my, and my daughter would walk them to the school bus and we'd meet at the school bus every morning. And we'd stand there and we'd wait for her, for our kid, for our kids to get on the bus. And I never spoke to her. I was wanted to, but I didn't know what to say to her. And I thought it'd be nice to get to know her, but I had no idea how to start the conversation. And clearly the other woman didn't either because she said nothing either. And so the two of them didn't speak for years standing right there next to each other because they thought that there was some barrier to being able to communicate. And she said, you know, I was just so, so something I didn't know what to say. Hi, would have been a really good place to start. You know, we, 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 we make it more complicated than it needs to be. And these were two very good, well-intentioned people who wanted to get to know each other and didn't know how to start because they were assuming that it would be so much harder than it was. And it's not. Um, it's not, it's not something that we, I think there's always got to be a purpose to a lot of the sort of the groups that we create or some of the work that we do. I think it'd be really cool to just 
have a whole bunch of different people hanging. Let's eat some food. Right. Um, we did hummus fest a few years ago. Like, let's get, you know, that was so much fun. And we had so many different people coming in and we didn't have to talk about conflict. We didn't have to talk about religion. We didn't have to talk about race. We ate hummus and it was awesome. Um, but you got to know different people. Uh, it doesn't always have to be about a thing. And it's really just about getting to know people and having conversations. And that well, changes your ideas. I was going to say, I, I, I appreciate you having a conversation with me tonight. I, I, I've always hold you in the highest regard. I think it's amazing what you're doing for 211, uh, what you continue to do for the city. And I hope to have you back on the program thank soon. You. So Remy, take care of yourself. And thank you so much for spending some and time. And you, and you. Good luck with the baby. Oh. <laughs> I was, as I said to Kara, I'm like, I'm like, it's, I'm taking the night shift, right? Like, so my wife can see, she's still recovering. She was a C-section, right? Mm. So she's recovering. So I take the quote unquote night shift. Like when we were at Liam mm. from sick kids, I, we would do this because he was on medication, right? Of so course. I would stay up to like three, four o'clock in the morning. So she could, my wife could sleep. So we're doing that now. And I've just given up on even sleeping at, between bottle feeds at this point, right? So I, I'll like work at night and it's great. Um, oh goodness. But it's like by two o'clock in the afternoon now, because I get a couple hours of sleep. I'm like, oh my God, I need. I need caffeine like now. <laughs> yeah, like, just pump it right in, IV. But thank you. It's she's she's a pretty pretty awesome kid. I'm very blessed. So thank you for that. Congratulations, congratulations. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk we'll to you soon. Okay. Well, take care, arms. Thank Have a you. Oh, uh, what an amazing lady and uh, awesome service too. A couple of uh, messages coming in from Facebook saying, uh, "I got to check out two one one." Laura saying that two one one. This is uh, a big. Uh, interesting topic for her. So yeah, Remy is COO for 211 uh, right across Ontario. Um, you can find out a little bit more information by checking them out online. And uh, just a great resource for people here in the Windsor-Essex area to talk about and talk about some of the bigger issues of today. That's going to do it for episode 19. Episode 20 next week, our first year anniversary show uh, coming up on May 24th, which is the day after Victoria holiday. And man, do I have an awesome guest. Um, this person is, we're just going to have a lot of fun. And uh, I think you will recognize them. I think that a lot of people will be happy to see them. And uh, it's just going to be, uh, it's going to be one for the books as we celebrate a year doing the Arms, Boom and Light Project live stream here on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. And uh, you can listen to the podcast as well on Apple Podcasts. It'll be up in about the next 15 minutes. Have a great rest of the evening. Stay safe. Um, and remember to treat each other with respect and kindness. Thank you so much for spending some time with me tonight on the Arms Movement Light Project. Mm -hmm.